The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 86, COVID Equity with Nicole Beardsley. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, my friend, how are you? Doing all right, Ben. How are you? I am great. This is another episode of the Beer EDU Podcast, episode 086. I am Ben Dixon. You can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at bdixonnv. And you, my friend? Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at AndersonEdTech. Same thing with the Instagram, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. I wrote one. I finally wrote one. Uh, I saw it. Took me almost two months, but I finally wrote another one. I got one out there. So, uh, and then you can also, if you enjoy my writing, you can also check out my book, To the Edge Successes and Failures Through Risk Taking, available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and then through my publisher, Edumatch Publishing. And let's cut the crap, Ben. Let's drink some beer. What do you got? Okay. So uh, I went with a, oh my gosh, an IPA. So no. I had to look, go back and look to see if I've had this one. Alaskan Brewing Company, Icy Bay IPA. I got a, uh, I got a mix pack of, of Alaskan. We, we, it, and I kind of went back when a couple of episodes where we were talking about, I think we had, we featured an Alaskan beer on there in our learn about. And I was like, you know, I haven't had very many of those. So I went with this. Uh, it's pretty solid, 6.2% uh, ABV, 65 IBU. Um, their big uh, their big claim is it's brewed with glacial waters because it's brewed in Alaska. So it's pretty good. I mean, it's uh, it's it's definitely one I would I would buy again. So it's it's just a middle of the road IPA. And you, my friend, went with something. Uh, oh, let me see. We're get we're on a theme here, though. Yeah, we are because my uh, trek to Michigan recently. I brought back a boatload of beer from the local brewery in my hometown. Uh, my bag was actually eight pounds overweight uh, for <laughs> beer, and then right. well, there was also the one pound ring of venison sausage that my friend That's gave right. me as well. So I was able to enjoy some venison sausage with some of my hometown local beer. But uh, yeah, I did another one of these. I got the Austin Brothers Brewing Company Cherry Bomb. This okay. one is 5.1% ABV, no IBU listed. This is a Pilsner-based beer, so a lager. Um, and then they add Montmorency cherries to it. Oh. And they their claim on that, too, is that the cherries are locally sourced from northern Michigan, too. So, okay. so yeah, it's um, you know just a nice clean beer, a nice little tart cherry flavor to it. So... I would venture to call this one a lawnmower beer if we were mowing lawns, which a lot of people at this point are probably raking lawns, but not you and I in Nevada. Nope. It's still very, very warm where yep. I am at. And frankly, we were talking a little bit beforehand. I'm just kind of sick of it at this point. I just want it, I want fall weather to start creeping in here. Yeah, it's it'll be here. Well, I don't know about for you. What is that? Like, what is Vegas fall weather? 70? <laughs> Something like that. So uh, I do, I, as much as I want the fall weather, I do like the fact that on Thanksgiving, I'm usually frying a turkey in shorts and a t-shirt. There so. you go. Right on. So that's always a good time. So, but hey, Ben, we have a guest like yes. we normally like to do. So somebody that is, I guess, kind of returning. She yes. 
came on at one of the Q events and yep. did one of our little like on-site ones. And, and we liked her so much, we decided to have her back. And we're honored to have Nicole Beardsley join us again. Hey, hey. Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. This is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so, for being here. Now, we were talking a little bit beforehand. You don't have beard, but you're doing nope. something that is uh, a little interesting sounding. But I've heard a couple other people talk about this, too. And what is that little thing that you're doing for the month of October? Yeah, so I'm on Beer EDU and I'm doing Sober October, which is kind of ironic timing. Um, I mean, it sounds exactly what it is. It's the month of October and just 31 days without alcohol, which I follow a, a hashtag of it on Instagram and people are doing it for a variety of reasons. Like some people it's part of their sobriety journey or there's a it's called sober curious. Like if you've been thinking about going sober as like your, you know, full-time gig, it's a good time to kind of try it out. Um, mm -hmm. kind of breaking some bad habits. I don't know. I'm a very social drinker. I like sharing a bottle of wine with friends or like meeting up at breweries and COVID kind of ruined <laughs> all of that. Yeah. And I was kind of like reflecting on, how sad it was to sit at home by myself and be drinking like every mm -hmm. night of the week. So I was like, eh, maybe pumping the brakes for a month and just kind of sitting mm -hmm. in my feelings is probably not a bad idea. So yeah, we're what five days into the month. I feel like yep. this is the 55th day of the month. <laughs> yeah. But it, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun in a weird twisted kind of way to challenge yourself to yeah. just kind of break out of those habits. But I do miss when there's like cool things like, oh, a new beer pops up right. or we have get togethers with friends. I don't know. I'm not trying to like limit myself, but I'm trying to see how far, <laughs> how far I can take this. this month. <laughs> no, I think, and I think, I think a lot of people, they, and you're right, they do it for a variety of reasons. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons that when uh, a while back I did a bunch of non-alcoholic beers, because I just realized I'm like, probably shouldn't have beer every single, you know, one or two beers every single night. Cause then I fall asleep at seven o'clock at night. And that's not cause I'm old. It's just cause I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. And there's health stuff too. You know, like right. I just feel less bloaty and gross, mm -hmm. which I, right. that's, that's a bummer side of as much as I love right. wine and beer, but then my body right. is like, mm, maybe try some water, maybe yeah. take a break. <laughs> so yeah. So that's it. So for October. Well, all the luck to you. I would say I'd join you, but I mean, just this episode alone, I've already spoiled that. And then the other yeah. night as a family, we got the Halloween season going by watching Hocus Pocus and I, Ooh. and I drank a beer while watching Hocus Pocus. So I am, I have definitely um, broke that. And then on top of that, I was given a bottle of whiskey by somebody. And then I also picked up a bottle of local whiskey when I was in Michigan. So I have not broke into those yet, but I know as soon as I do, I'm probably going to, one's going to turn well, into three with the, with the whiskey. Cause I enjoy whiskey a lot too. So that's easy to do. Yeah. You can do you sober know, November. Yeah. You could do an 80, 20 thing. Yeah, there we go. There you go. So, we are like good. on night one, we had like spaghetti for dinner and my husband goes and grabs like a bottle of wine off the rack. And I'm like, bruh, did you not get the memo? <laughs> like doing a thing. So I, I don't know, I might have had like a sip with dinner or something, but it's all right. It's not Medic progress, medicinal. not perfection. There yeah. we go. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, welcome back, Nicole. We're glad yep. to have you again. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? Where you're at? Those kinds of fun things. Yeah. So I live in the Sacramento area in California. I've been an educator for, I think this is like year 12 or 13 for me. Um, I was a teacher for a really long time. I taught elementary school and middle school, kind of all different grade levels. I love the middle school peeps. That's my crowd. Um, and then the last three years, I was an instructional coach, an equity coach, actually it was a unique kind of position to be an instructional coach in. And yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It was, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher forever. I knew I was going to go into some kind of leadership position, but I love working with teachers. Mm -hmm. I love leading professional developments and stuff like that. So I did that gig for a while, which was really fun. And I also got to be an avid teacher in the process. Um, avid is a program to get kids who traditionally come from underrepresented populations, getting them on the track to college or um, post-secondary training, um, which is like a whole part of my like value set, which I loved that so much. And then I knew the TOSA thing is a short-lived stop in a career. TOSA's, you know, if anybody listening has been a TOSA or is a TOSA, that always is the first thing to go. And yep. as soon as I started getting the sniff that budgets were getting whittled down, I was like, I should start looking into another plan. Um, so I knew I didn't really want to go back to full-time classroom teaching. So I decided to go into the admin credential program and I needed my master. So like might as well do that at the same time. So I did that. And then I am starting this year as a brand new assistant principal at a middle school. Um, wow. And in the, in the process, we moved, we moved from the Bay area to the Sacramento area. So I'm in a brand new school, brand new district, brand new people, but brand and then, new you know, 20, 2020 COVID that COVID. <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting to be a brand new administrator in a global pandemic. There are no textbooks that teach you that. There's no courses you take on that. So I don't know. I'm just riding the wave, but I, I'm loving it so far. I think it's really um, cool to kind of get a peek behind the curtain on the leadership side of stuff for the first time. I kind of got a glimpse of it when I was a TOSA, but I was also able to distance myself enough. And now I'm in it and I'm really in a, in a middle school of about a thousand kids. And I'm a mom, I have two boys, they're eight and three. So I'm also navigating my son who's a third grader doing his distance learning, hybrid learning, that whole thing. Um, just we out here living, that's it. What format are you at in your school? Is it a full distance model, are you hybrid? So we are in hybrid right now and our county is like close to getting to orange, I think. And I think the hope is that, well, no, we're in full distance learning. Let me go back a little bit. My son's district is in hybrid. We're full distance learning. Our district has like two very local districts to us or neighboring districts, I guess. And they went to hybrid sooner than we did. Our plan was to kind of stay the course through our students first trimester, which ends the end of October, and then go to hybrid. Um, so we're still full distance learning at the moment. And we're kind of watching to see if we can get into orange to go to full time five day 
and skip hybrid altogether because I think the general kind of feeling is hybrid is a pain in the ass to kind of coordinate and mm -hmm. it's super inequitable when there's no transportation for our students who can't get to school because there's no busing and they live clear on the other side of town and mm -hmm. we have the AMPM hybrid model that we're going to be doing so I think the the we're all just kind of watching to see what happens in the next couple of weeks which is also exhausting because there's I've never had a job where you put so much work into things and then literally the next day it's like okay well new plan because we have new information so I'm learning to just roll with that um but yeah we've we've been full distance learning since the beginning of August is when we went back mm -hmm. so 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 is there any so we have like in my district we have uh we have our middle and high schools are both hybrid are, are all hybrid so all all of them and then elementaries we are full face to face but we have the option for parents to do distance and one of the reasons for that i think especially in the high school and the middle school was we're at a 50 percent capacity so you have to have 50 percent. you can only have classrooms with 50 percent of your kids and i think what what they what they realized was that's a lot of kids like in a high school or, you know, middle school, like there's a thousand kids. We have, that's about the range that most of our middle schools are that they couldn't have all the kids in there. So is that something that your district's talking about too, is how do you, how do you fit all the kids in there? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because also we have this other option, which is families can put their kids in the year long full distance learning model. Right. And that, so that has always kind of been one of the options. And mm -hmm. um, there's like a variety of reasons why families would choose that. Like for some kids, this model is working for them. You know, mm -hmm. like I'd rather like plug in, do what I need to do, and then I'm free to go. Or for some kids, school is not a positive place for them to be. And mm -hmm. then some families, it's a transportation thing. Like they, right. if we go hybrid, there's no one who can get their kid to school at 11 a.m. and pick right. them up two hours later. So we have this online thing. And then, so that actually, we sent a survey to families and had a pretty significant chunk of our families say they were going to opt for that online distance learning full year program. I think more than we were anticipating. Mm -hmm. So with the kids who are left, so to speak, um, we are just going to have AMPM cohorts. And I think it's going to be like a split. And that's the conversations we're kind of in right now is, um, we, we, in our survey gave families an opportunity to kind of indicate which their preference is, but telling them like, we can't guarantee, you know, one or the other. So now we're kind of talking about placing strategic students first, you know, students who need certain accommodations or what, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else is just going to get, I think, split down the middle. Um, because I think our, you know, ours, like there's something I heard you know, the measurements of the standard classroom divided by six feet and it came out to 17, I think is the magic number. Like 17 mm -hmm. students is the max you can fit in a classroom. So then in the middle school, we're talking about like, okay, so we have A, B desks in each of the classrooms. Mm -hmm. So like first period sits in the A desk and then yep. the second period sits in the B desk. And then do we have kids wipe in, wipe out? It's like, it's so wild. It's I, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I spent my entire summer creating like seven different plans. 
Like, yeah. what do we do with this? You're going to teach here. Who's going to teach in the lunchroom? What do we do with this? So, no, I totally understand what you're going through. So, And I mean, I'm totally a planner. Like, I right. I love having a plan. I'm like, you want a spreadsheet? <laughs> you want a color code? Like, I'm your girl. That was my whole TOSA, like, job, basically. So, sitting in this role now where I you can't plan because unless you want to have your heart broken because hours of your life has just been wasted, it's it's hard to sit in that and I'm getting pretty good at it. And I know now my part of my job is to kind of be, I've, I've been saying I'm captain of the cheer squad for all of our teachers. Like my job is just kind of like gas them up. Like you can do this. And also to be kind of like a therapist for them in a way, like, I know it's really hard to not have answers, but it's hard when you don't have anything to blame, you know, like we're used to being like, well, it's this person's fault or it's this thing's fault, but there's nothing to blame in this situation. It's just freaking COVID. So we're all kind of like hanging on and I'm just trying to, you know, be the one there to kind of support everybody while we're just waiting for the next piece of information to decide to appear whenever that's going to be, which is really weird. Well, and then for Ben, your district, uh, you're trying to do the face-to-face and the hybrid model, but then you've missed how many days in the last six weeks for, the fires yeah. in the northern Nevada, northern California. Oh, yeah, there's that. Yeah. And, and actually, I will say, I will say that with that, one of the things I think that was, I don't want to say beneficial to having to do that is because there's always the fear that in a face-to-face, we're going to go back to digital. And um, what we did in the spring was kind of a Band-Aid. It was an emergency. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was review, has to be new learning. So for my teachers, I think it's been, um, at first it was really hard. And then we had a whole week of smoke days. Um, so then they, they got in a groove, but it's funny cause I have four digital teachers and they're just like, got this. Like, why is everybody stressing out? This is what we do every day. So that part's been, um, you know, I think, I think hopefully fingers crossed California stops burning at some point. <laughs> it snows. I don't know. It rains. We've been talking in my house too about like what's going to happen in the winter time, like cold and flu season, just your regular cold and flu, you know, like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it could go any which way right now. Like we may end up in a total shutdown again because we just can't differentiate cold and flu versus COVID outbreaks. My, my youngest is in preschool and I'm like toddler spike of fever for no reason and then they're fine the next day so what's going to happen there is the whole preschool getting shut down for four months so that's we hard do, too we could do a whole show about what happens when a kid comes to the office and has two symptoms that are on the chart and then they get excluded yeah. and then their parent calls you and freaks out because their kid is excluded for 10 days and you're like i i love i love my nurse i love my my district's health that that group of people they got this down. So no, it is, it is just a weird, like you said, Nicole, it's a, it is that time where everything is so fluid. And I think, you know, in an administrative role, um, it is hard because people come to you and they're like, well, what are we going to do? And I, I, I go, I don't know, we're going to do this yeah. for a while. And then maybe we'll do something else. I mean, I'm not the greatest planner, so I'm okay with a lot of this. I'm like, Meh, we'll do some stuff, but I, I, think I can that's see. Where it's- 
it's good to have a team of administrators because my admin myself and another AP and our principal and I think between the three of us we've got each of the aspects of a total personality covered mm -hmm. like I can get a little nervous and a little emotional reactive but my principal he's cool as a cucumber and he's the one I kind of go to when I'm like mm -hmm. should we be worried about this or you know if if because the, the AP and the other AP and I were kind of like the boots on the ground, like, mm -hmm. you know, got a finger on the pulse and we'll kind of go to him like uh, people are kind of starting to freak out about this. Should we also be freaking out about this? And he's really great mm -hmm. at being like, nah, we're, that's not a, you know, a level right. 10 freak out yet. So as a new administrator, I appreciate that because I have no idea what's considered Right. crucial emergency needs attention versus like, Oh no, it's fine. So I don't think any, no, I mean, I, and I don't know about your teachers and Kyle, we've kind of talked about this. I've talked to teachers and everybody feels like a first year teacher. And I would argue yes. every principal feels like a first year principal. Yes. Uh, my wife is an area superintendent. Everybody feels like a first, everybody from probably the superintendent on down is like, it's like the first year. We have no idea what we're doing, you know? I've been saying out. that it actually levels the playing field for me a little bit yeah. because I hate being new at stuff. I hate not knowing things. And so it's kind of nice to be in a yeah. space where no one knows anything and we're all new. So yeah, that has been worked in my favor, but I'm, I mean, just like teachers who have been teaching forever, it's hard to sit in that space of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing again, when you feel like I should have a grasp on this because I've been teaching for, you know, X many years, I feel like the same can be said for leaders too. Like if you're a superintendent, you are like, that's a pretty big deal. And to feel like, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure that is even more stressful because that's thousands of kids that are, you're dependent, they're depending on you to make the right call. So um, yeah, it's, it's wild times. And, and it's weird that it's going to be a drop in the history bucket someday when this has like been so impactful in all aspects of our lives for the last however seven months. So yeah, it's crazy. Crazy is like, and I'm so tired of using certain words. I don't know if you guys feel this way too. Like if I hear someone say pivot one more time, I'm, I'm going to like say something really mean under my mask. <laughs> Yeah, like I was part in of these a, unprecedented times. <laughs> I was part of a thread on Twitter or Facebook one day where we were all posting those things. And mine was um, flying the plane as it's being built. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. totally guilty of that. Just, one. Yeah, just cringeworthy, in my opinion. And then, oh, we're guilty of all of them. Oh, 100%. I think, I think all Flexible of them. And thinking. I say them. Yes. yes. If synchronous, I asynchronous. Say, like, oh. I know. Yes. Yeah, that's Tom Covington's cool. favorite. Uh, Tom and Mike came back with those talking tech recently. And uh, they were talking about synchronous and asynchronous and how that one just makes them, their heads want to explode. But I feel fortunate uh, compared to the two of you where I'm in right. a straight distance model. And for, for the time being. Yeah, for the time being, right? We're, that's what we're doing. The, the only word that I have received from any level above me at this point about when we're going to change into a different model is we got a survey the other day that asked us, if you have the option to telecommute when we change, what would you rather do? Work 100% at school, 50-50, or work from home? And I frankly, I put work from home for now because, I mean, I've never been a germaphobe, but ever since this happened, I've become a germaphobe. And yeah. I am constantly hand sanitizing. And I'm that person that if someone is standing too close to me in a store, I start getting like, 
like visibly like upset about it where like I start fidgeting in different things. And I, I'm not a huge fan of like crowds to begin with, unless I, unless it's on my terms. If I'm at a concert and there's a hundred thousand people squished up against me trying to get to the front rail for the mosh pit, I'm 100% okay with that. But if I'm waiting in line at the grocery store and you are within three feet of me, you better back up because I might say something to you pretty quick because I just, it, this has really just changed need me. to come work in an elementary school. You will get over that so fast. My kids are amazing. They all wear masks. They're really good at the distance, but they forget. And they're like, kindergartners come and give you high fives. And you just wash your hands a thousand times a day. I, I really want to, I really would love to see the data on who gets sick. And I want to know what they do for a living. Because I really think the percentage of public educators is pretty low. I mean, we've had people in our district that have gone out, but um, I would just be really interested because I feel like when you're around kids, let's face it. Oh, they're yeah. Filth, they're filthy. Iron immune system. And different age kids, too. You yeah. have different germs. Like when I was in the credential program, I worked at a daycare like a, oh, yeah. with, with under five. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I had pink eye three times. <laughs> I had like yep. the stomach flu twice in one year, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm good. Like, I'm going to go teach. <laughs> I'm I'm good. But then I went to elementary school and it was like new older mm -hmm. kids, different germs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I had the, like a constant cold. And then I went to middle school and they were like, they have their own set of problems. <laughs> well, and then as a TOSA and I, and I, and Kyle, you did the TOSA job and I did the TOSA job. You travel from building to building and, and buildings like, like I just remember you'd like go one place and everybody's sick. And I'd be like, great. Now I'm going to get sick. Cause I went in that building, but I, in this other building down the street, everybody's got a cold. So I'm going to, you know, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like in our profession, we've just, it's still serious and you still have to take all those precautions. But um, I actually, and I just speaking for my own district and for mine, I mean, knock on wood, we've, we've had cases, but it's been in the experience that I've seen in our district, it's been outside. It hasn't been, it's been like kids from a birthday party over the weekend or a parent got it or something. It hasn't been a transmission through a school. Like we haven't had that. Yeah, at least at my son's my son's school because he's been in hybrid for a few weeks now. I right. mean, they they got it down. There's mm -hmm. like minimal opportunities for kids to come in contact right. with each other that aren't in the same class, and it's it's only like right. if you get there before school and you're supposed to be spaced out anyway. Yep. And I don't know. I'm I feel like that kind of has to be the case, I, obviously with the restrictions, but right. I'm, I'm not worried really worried about that. Yeah, at, at your level and Kyle's level, that's where I get more concerned. Because I mean, come on, when you're in high school, you're invincible. Oh yeah. I, should be, I mean, there are so many things I should I did that I probably should not have survived. But well, it's interesting too because we were talking about we've been kind of talking about all of our planning for hybrid, but then we kind of had this moment where we're like, well, what happens if we do skip hybrid altogether and go to five days in person? There's no AB, there's no half the kids on campus at a time. It's all, it's like 850 kids now on campus. We have lunch period now, like what's that gonna look like? So we're kind of getting to that point where we're like, maybe we should start talking about that, but we're kind of wait in a holding pattern right now to wait and see. But that, I mean, that's a whole nother set of problems to work out when you do have to have your full student population on campus and they're 12 and 13 year olds. I mean, they're not going to maintain a social distance and, 
you know, they're going to take their masks off and breathe on each other just to be middle schoolers about it. So I don't know. It's, there's a lot of weird uncertainty and a million different things. I'm just, so I just keep trying to come back to like right now, what can I do right now? What can I focus on right now? Cause I can spin out, out there all day long and it just will be completely unproductive. So. Well, and that's when you start as schools and districts need to start talking about possibly changing schedules. We talk about wanting to go back to normal, but knowing that what the normal was is never going to be back again. So there's this, here's one of those words again, the new normal, <laughs> one of those ones that annoys You people. should turn this into a drinking so, but, game now. The podcast <laughs> should turn into the distance learning drinking game. And every time uh, your guest like says one of those words, just drink. Uh, no. There you go. We would I don't think like we'd make it through another conversation. We'd all be hammered. We'd have like two or yeah, so, five minute episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, those would be the beery to you after dark episodes yeah. because there'd be too much editing to bl blur out all the beeps and everything. So, cause I'm sure it could get ugly in a hurry, but, but what, the example I'm thinking of though, is that there's a school in my district that years ago, and they may have still been doing it up until when the shutdown happened was their school cafeteria was not big enough to serve lunch to the population. Even when they broke it up into like three lunch periods, there still was over capacity. So what they essentially did was between, I believe the first and second period of the day, they had an extended passing period. That was a nutrition break where the kids could go to the cafeteria and grab a snack if they want to, or bring their own. And then they went to classes until like noon and then lunch was from like 12.30 to one or something like that. Then the school day was done. If the kid didn't want to go to lunch, they went home. Their day was done once that school day was done. And what it did was it really cut down on the number of kids that they had to worry about getting lunch. Now, every kid that wanted lunch still had the opportunity to get it, but it wasn't, again, I, this would have been me. If I'm in high school and you tell me that I could be done at 1230 Deuces. and skip the lunch period, see a boom, yeah. I'm out of here. I'm out of there. And that school had a pretty successful model for that. And that's something that some schools made to start need to start thinking about once we start getting closer to returning in some fashion. That's interesting. My school has three separate lunch periods, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade, which in middle school is a great idea because when you can keep the sixth graders right. away from the eighth graders and seventh right. and eighth graders away from each other. I mean, it just means the administrators are out for three different lunch duties. Right. And so that's three hours or three 40 minute blocks. You're out doing that. But yeah, what it's going to have to start getting really creative, I think in the scheduling area. Well, and I, yeah. And that's where I think that, that idea of we, and we talked about this, the flipped learning where how much can kids do prior to coming to school? How much of this, and then we get into the equity issue, which I know that you've done a bunch of work with that. And I'd love to hear your take on that is like, like, as we're in this, this situation now, um, I mean, like, how do you create equitable access for all kids? Because we know that if kids can get tech and they can learn but prior to coming to school, how much do they really need to be there for six hours? No. Yeah. And then, I mean, and that's an engagement thing for me too, which has always been my kind of hill to die on with education in the 21st century is if, if you are giving your kids things that 
they could just like go Google or, mm. you know, if it's just a filler and it's not going to be something that's engaging, then it's time to reconsider maybe that. And that's really hard because I feel like I empathize so much with teachers and just the survival. Like we have just been in survival since March 17th or whatever. So I understand because I worked with teachers who were like, I was on a zoom with them for 90 minutes showing them how do you make a hyperdoc because I was trying to sell it to them before, but now they had no choice and they were like, okay. And I had to like build it from the ground up with them, which was amazing. But that was just like, we just had to survive. So now I feel like it's interesting to be in this new school year where with all a lot more accountability conversations in, and we have to start talking about student learning, not just survival and seeing how teachers are really trying to rise to the occasion of the engagement factor and bringing up those equity points because you asked that question then and I feel like there are huge equity gaps in this phase of education that we're in right now and it's it's really kind of depressing and I think we're gonna feel it for a long time because it's just mm -hmm. so glaring I mean like wi-fi talk about like wi-fi issues you know mm -hmm. like kids we have kids constantly saying calling the school they're having trouble getting on their class zoom and it's mm -hmm. because their Wi-Fi sucks at home. And like, that's not anything we can help them with. So then they miss out on that live instruction, which is required in our state legislation. Um, yeah. So that sits heavy on my heart. The busing thing sits heavy on my heart too. Like you can't get to school. So you are kind of forced into doing online learning, but then your home situation may not be conducive to online learning if there's like five kids at home all doing online learning all day long so it's just a mess it's not great that piece is really really not great right now unfortunately oh, we talked about this ben and i with uh, on a previous episode about it even goes down to what did the school and or district do last spring where you had some districts that were trying to do business as usual from a distance some were doing more of like a don't give more than one assignment per week kind of thing. And then the district where I work, from what I understand, because I was not here last spring, was checking with your teachers, whatever your grade was at the end of third quarter, that's what you're going to get. Right. So what you're getting now is that you have these equity issues with the internet and multiple kids trying to use one device from home and a host of other things that you already mentioned. But then also the equity issue boils down to that mindset as well. If that mindset before was, I don't have to do anything and get a grade for it. Why would I do anything? And I think a lot of kids and families still have that mindset, even though that's not the case anymore. So I'm struggling right now with a lot of the students in my co-taught classes where they show up to the Google meet sessions, they don't participate and then they don't turn anything in when we're, when we're giving out assignments. And then as a special ed teacher, I have to put into all new annual IEPs, a statement uh, that's basically states that this is what happened last spring and we are going to evaluate the effect that that had on that student. And my effect statement for most of my kids that I've written IEPs on so far is that we don't know what the effect is because when right. they're not showing up to classes or they're not completing work or participating in class, you can't make a fair assessment of how that affected them last spring. 
So it's just, there's so many issues right now across the board that so many of us have no control over. And that's the most frustrating thing. And oh, Brent, yeah. Brent Coley on his podcast, uh, it was, it was so great to hear him again. He hadn't uh, put out a podcast in a while, but on teaching tales, he talked about how with those things that you have no control, you just, you got to smile and try to find some sort of silver lining with it. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't have agreed with that more where like with students that they're showing up, but they're not doing anything. Right. At least they're there. They're there yeah. at least. And like, right. I can talk to them as a person and see how they're doing. I can always work on trying to get them to do something down the road. Okay. The ones I'm concerned about are the ones that are not there at all. Right. So, and then just to be lighthearted a little bit about it, I'm concerned about the ones that when they do show up and turn on their mics, you hear the smoke alarm in the background, just beeping every three seconds. I feel like every other kid that I have that does that, <laughs> that comes on. So, you know, I'm just trying to be a little bit more lighthearted about it, but, uh, but yeah, there, it's just, it's a struggle. And yeah, you know, I have never sure. worked so hard in my life for what I feel has is the least amount of reward almost as morbid as that sounds. Well, it's true because when you're in person and face to face with kids, you get feedback in some, some way, you know, at least there's a warm body there in front of you versus like when you're trying to get that same thing and they don't have their screens turned on or you feel like that's fine. But that's, I think the number one thing a lot of the teachers I work with are talking about is like, it's so hard to talk to a blank screen, just black tiles in front of me because they're middle schoolers and they're super awkward. And, you know, so that that's a thing. And then we, in my, we have constant conversations about attendance versus engagement and what's the difference between the two, because now we're being held somewhat accountable to attendance and what does attendance mean versus engaging in their classes. So our district came up with this solution of, there's a lesson that they have to log in and just click every day. And it's like, how are you today? And that's their daily attendance. So a kid can come and click that and then check out the whole rest of the day mm-hmm. and not do any zoom meeting, not do any of their assignments, but they were, they were present technically. So that is also really hard. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all of those things. And then there are things, there's the kids who are choosing to opt out of learning there are the kids who have no choice because they don't, they're home alone all day or right. they have technology struggles or learning struggles or whatever. But yeah, I've sat in a number of those IEPs so far this year too, Kyle, where the parents are like at a loss. They're like, either they right. didn't know this was going on or they're working and they are trusting that their kid is doing it or their kid is selling them a line and not mm-hmm. really doing it or yeah, the t- teachers are like, I've never met this kid before in my life. So I can't even give like, what's his strengths because I don't know him because he hasn't shown right. up. So that's also, all of those things are hard. Yeah, my Google Forms, I send out to the teachers to get input from them regarding student strengths, areas for improvement, um, what they're doing well in class, those kinds of things. I get a lot of them back where they put NA or something on that form because they just if they've never seen the kid you can't you you know you'd be lying if you put something else so it's just tough but what I do I get I get a lot on those forms is that for if a kid has only come a couple times they will say like student was respectful 
So, I mean, at least most students are being respectful when they're in there, but uh, it's tough. It's very tough. See, and I think, I think the hard thing for, for like in your situation, Kyle, is the distance model. And like, I have kids that need that extra support for a variety of reasons have who, and parents have opted for distance because of, for whatever reason. And it is hard to make sure, you know, are you doing their, those SDI minutes, that specially designed instruction? I think one of the things that I was actually really excited about as a district that we looked at was with our middle and high school because we had the hybrid is they said if you are a student receiving special education services you're five days a week you can come because they knew there's no way that you're going to ensure that that kid's going to get that that extra support that clearly they need so and, and I don't know, and I, I, I'd have to ask some high school principals and, and middle school principals or, or teachers to see how that's going. But I think, because those kids do need something more. And just like I think about our, our second language learners, my EL students, I mean, they need oh, to be yeah. there every day. They need, they need that social dynamic. And it, they're getting some of, some of them that are on distance learning are getting that. But then you don't get that, that same uh, social interaction, I think, in a school. Yeah, we've been talking about our newcomers, especially mm -hmm. right now, like, right. man, those poor kiddos are brand new, don't speak the language, they can't even follow along and really get what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, right. the ones at my school, we've, we've got them onto Zoom, at least, mm -hmm. like, they, they've been able to get, you know, into their Zoom meetings and stuff, but yeah. And so, and then our teachers who teach our second language learners or our multilingual learners, they're, that's heavy on a teacher heart too, because like those are the kids that need us the most and not even, not even like our newcomers. I mean, our long-term English learners too. Mm -hmm. That was what my whole focus has been on for the last couple of years with AVID and AVID Excel, which is right. their, their second, their long-term English learner program. I mean, those are kids who fly under the radar because yep. they can get by they can it's deceptive because they can speak you know uh conversational in english right. they come across as like they're not a language learner but their writing and their reading is really really struggling that's how you can tell um i did my whole master's on that i should do a whole, whole episode on that because i'm like right there but those are the kids who I worry about a lot because they're in eighth grade reading at a fourth grade reading level. And that's where they've been for years. And they're going to go into high school and still be there. And usually it comes with a lot of disengagement with learning because, mm -hmm. because of course, you know, right. So yeah. Well, that's and, really and, I, and I wondered like, so at the school right now, um, and I, but the school I was at last year, we've gradually, we have a high school that's doing AVID and then all the feeder schools were doing AVID. So we're AVID schools and um, my school this year, we are not, I'm hoping that, that across our district, we eventually move to that model. But I'm wondering, like, I think those AVID strategies would be so applicable now, like oh, those yeah. executive functioning skills, those organizational skills. I know people, they always talk about the binders, but there's so much more to it than oh, the yeah. binder. You know, we were talking in the spring with my fellow Avid Excel teachers, and I was like, you know, this is kind of practice for when you take online classes in college. Like, no one, I always used to tell my Avid kids, no one ever taught me how to take notes. I just figured it out. I wish somebody, that's kind of Avid's thing too. But then I took an online class in my undergrad, and I just thought it was going to be 
like, oh, okay, like you just like log in and do your stuff, but it's hard. Online classes are hard. You have to have a lot of self-discipline and have a schedule. So we kind of took that lens from an avid perspective too, of like, this is kind of like preparing them for online classes and you have to be really disciplined and organized and yeah, you don't have a binder, but if your Google drive is a mess, you can start focusing on that. And you know, if you have this many assignments and you've got this chunk of time and you know, like your parents need your help, like, yeah, it's all, that's what I love so much about Avid is it's all life skills. It's not just, you know, like that, the binder and the, those like whatever scholar groups and stuff, but it's life skills and it's things that some of us kind of gradually picked up and figured out when we went to college. But if you've got fact, any factor working against you and you don't get that, and then that's going to be the breaking point that you makes you like drop out or not ever apply to college, then let's head that off with just teaching them when they're in seventh grade. Like, how do you set up a schedule for yourself? But yeah, totally. And I love that more and more schools are, incorporating they may not be avid schools like per se but they are incorporating those avid tenants the wicker strategies and all that and into interwoven throughout all the course areas a common note-taking practice so that when they go to math it's not different note-taking strategy than science you know like all with kid-centric focus to it yeah i'm here for that and that's what i loved about it too and i agree with you i didn't learn to take notes till I was in college and I'm like, Oh, I guess I should know how to take notes. I think I, I think I just faked it. Like I just knew I was copying things down. I think I just like memorized things really well. And I mean, yeah. What a concept to teach kids how to take notes and how to study notes. <laughs> well, and, and then the, the, the thing I loved is that like, if you're a kid in elementary school, when you get to high school, it looks exactly the same. Nobody, yeah. you don't have to reteach anything. Like the kid's like, I did this in fourth grade and now I do it in, as a freshman. I love that. I love Avid Elementary. I think that's such a brilliant it's idea. Cool. It's really cool. Cause, and also because it's not all just college focus. It's just no. on about success. Like how do you set yourself up to mm-hmm. be successful and how do you dream about your future too because for some kids it's just it's post-secondary training of some kind which I'm all here for too you want to go be a mason or a welder man do it just have a plan have a plan and like know how to get there so yeah we've been talking about that with avid with distance learning too and our avid kids at our school have really been rocking it which is awesome to see so that means the, the, the program is really helping them out so that's good and just to kind of break away from that a little bit, though, I'm one of those people that very similar. I didn't learn how to take notes until really like late high school, college or whatever. And there's certain note taking styles that I use that worked for me, but would never work for somebody else. Like, and you can see this in just some of the stuff that I put together now, like the show notes for this show is basically how I take notes. And, you know, the, the one, a, Number, number one, so kind of the Roman numeral kind of deal. That's how I take notes and it works for me. But for a lot of people, that just makes no sense at all. Whereas like, I know I was at an avid school once and Cornell notes was the big thing. Yeah. And to me, I couldn't stand Cornell That's... notes, but that was something that I was kind of required to help my kids with for one. Right. But at the same time though, I told them, I go, 
if this doesn't work for you, do something that does, whether that's yeah. the, right. the, the style that I do, or if it's, um, you know, sketch noting is a big thing too now where I am not a sketch noter to me, that doesn't work. I mean, I will doodle on pages, but that's more usually out of boredom. It's not necessarily putting the doodles in the form of notes. So I'm going to have like funky stars and then like stick figures with mohawks or something like that. That's, that's my form of sketch noting. So, you know, and that kind of goes to that whole student choice kind of deal that is, you know, some people will call that a, a, like a buzzword or something like that. But when it comes to something as important as taking notes, I think choice is absolutely 100% not a buzzword and very, very important because again, if a kid doesn't, doesn't understand how, Cornell notes work, it doesn't work for them, then help them figure something out that does help them. Yeah, I think, and that's the key too, is taking it from a student perspective lens and not a teacher perspective lens. Cause sometimes we'll be like, like you said, Kyle, like, oh, I'm not an artist. Like that's the teacher meme too. It's like, I'm not an artist. Every teacher as says that they're up at the whiteboard. But like, imagine that one kid in your class who has never experienced success. And then you show them like, I can doodle and that's considered note-taking. Like you just changed that kid's life, you know, or like same thing with other kids. If you show them how to make two column notes and all of a sudden that's their aha. So I think that's what we talk a lot about with the avid strategies is it's not about what you're good at, like Cornell notes gets a bad rap. It's a pretty good strategy, but it's not for everyone. So that's the thing is now, and I've, I'm happy to see Avid has kind of embraced that too, is a variety of note-taking right. strategies. And then you teach them to your students and then you get them to a place where they can say, this is what, how my brain learns the best. But mm -hmm. in order to do that, it takes training and all of them and, it's hard when you as a learner being the teacher teaching it, it's like I don't jive with Cornell notes. So I'm having a really hard time teaching my kids how to do it. But that means they're going to go like get magna cum loudly at <laughs> Harvard or something well, with their Cornell notes. I was, I always tell my, I always tell me when I have this conversation with teachers, cause they're like, well, this doesn't work. I'm like, you got to know the rules to break the rules. Okay. So once we all know yeah. the rules, then we can yeah. totally break them, but we all have to have a common starting place. So, and, and that, I agree with you. Like, I mean, my note taking style is hideous. I don't even know, like I couldn't even explain it to somebody. So, but you're right. It's, it's when kids have a foundation and then they have multiple choices. It's just like with math strategies. When you watch kids do multiple strategies for multiplication, pick the one that works best for you. We're not going to, everybody doesn't have to do it. The, the standard algorithm, you know, so that, yep. I think Kyle's right. It's the voice and it's the choice piece for kids. And then that's hard for parents to embrace too, when they're working with their kids at home, because it's like, you want to help and you don't understand that. I mean, we could talk all day about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll be part of the after dark episode where we have a shot every time we say one of the uh, the buzzwords we don't want to hear anymore. The new Common Core math. I can't oh, do the new Common Core math. Helping my <laughs> my math. third grade daughter with math right now is just insanity. I and can't do well, partial, but that's can't another do thing to me, Yeah, <laughs> to me though, that's another one though that if a kid can walk up to their teacher and say, yeah. "My parents taught me how to do it this way," and I got the same answer. To me, I, well, it You're grinds yeah. me when I hear a teacher say, well, you didn't do it my way. I'm no. sorry. The kid's still got the correct answer. He can prove it the same way. So right. 
that's another thing that grinds me. So. And did they learn, like, are they learning math? Like, are they learning the the concept? Are they learning how numbers work? Then who cares how they got there? That's, I know. No, my co-teacher I work with with algebra, she's really great about showing a couple different ways to solve equations. And I love her for that because it's not just her way or the highway. So I just, I I love my co-teacher for that. Now, Nicole, you are active on social media. How can people get a hold of you on social media to connect with you? I am on Twitter at Beardly Teach. I've been taking a little Twitter sabbatical. I saw you kind of did too, Kyle. Uh, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get back in there. I'm anyway. So you can find me there, Beardly Teach. I'm on Instagram, Beardly Teach too. I've been kind of quiet there too. I've been doing my personal thing for a while, but. Um, I don't know. Do you guys do that too? Do you have like a EDU version of you and then a personal version of you? I feel like my EDU friends don't need to see pictures of my kids all the time or like my vacations and stuff. I don't know. I, I like to have separate church and state. Yeah. We've I don't do discussion. a lot of, yeah, I don't do a lot of like picture taking to begin with. So you're not going to see a lot of pictures of like family stuff on my Facebook or my Instagram in the first place. But I definitely, I try to keep my Instagram probably I would say about 70 30 education family Twitter is like 99 one yeah yeah so my Twitter is straight education like I don't even talk about my family on Twitter and I kind of like I that's been how I describe it to other people when I'm trying to sell them Twitter I'm like you're not on there following the Kardashians like do it for a purpose but my personal Instagram like that's where I'm free to be me and if I'm like free posting f-bomb stuff i don't want to censor myself yeah. like i do in my edu account i have like kids following me on that one too but anyway beardsley teach I, that's where i'm at <laughs> we could do a whole episode about this because i know um oh I'm it's controversial it is there's well, definitely there's different two, takes yeah there's two ways i mean i i would agree with you my twitter is all education my instagram is I don't know. I have a lot of, I I have a lot of guys that I grew up with that sometimes I'm like, Ooh, I don't want that posted on my, you know, bunch of skateboard, punk rock tattoo artists. I'm like, "Uh, don't tag me in that photo right now, please. (laughs) Well, then my Facebook Facebook is like a mishmash of both. So it's interesting because I kind of keep it separated. Like I kind of use Twitter just for EDU. And then I use Instagram for like personal stuff. But my Facebook is like, schizophrenic <laughs> it's like multiple personalities yeah i'm the same i could i could I post my new blog post i haven't written in two months and i can get 10 likes on it and be like man i just wrote this really awesome thing and, no, and nobody's reading this that's crap whatever i'm not doing it for the likes but but then it's annoying though i could then post like a picture of a slice of pizza and i get like 73 likes or something it's, come on so like i see where people are at but no yeah. like you nicole i took a little bit of a break because a yeah. with school being so busy um, and then I had, you know, some different uh, things going on in the family life, you know, with my, my grandmother passing recently. That was one of them too. But then I was oh, your so... grandmother. Yes. Oh, it's my grandmother. Yeah. So grandfather. And then I looked like an idiot. Sorry. Nah, about that. It's okay. No, you... I thought he said grandfather when he first told me and I was like, Oh okay. my God, you just were there. No. I know. That's I why freaked I freaked out. Too. Okay. Well, so, I'm sorry about your grandmother. And I'm sorry you. I was an idiot and said grandfather. Yeah, it's okay. So, uh, but, uh, no, and then, I mean, the other main reason, though, is that, like, and this is both, like, political and education. I'm just over the people arguing over just the most petty, stupid no. stuff. Politics mainly. But, like, I put in my blog post, like, people getting into knockdown dragouts over the validity of a Bitmoji classroom. Who cares? 
If you do it, do it. If you don't like it, shut your face. I'm, I'm really out of the loop on Twitter now. Whew, I, this was something that was about a month, month and a half ago. So it's not a thing now. Wow. But okay. well, and then the other one I saw the other day was people arguing over. Now they're starting to combine terms like flex learning and hybrid learning and calling it high flex or something. And people okay. arguing about that. But our last guest, Brian Costello, he goes, that's just somebody's BS way of trying to come up with something else and that's all it is it's bs so brian said it perfect yeah so i know it's and i there could be a whole episode about this but i feel like social media is just like giving people permission to be like ugly and like that lower vibrational thinking mm -hmm. and it's like it's almost like um I don't know the word rebellious to be encouraging and positive on when you're on social media, which is part of the reason why I love the edu Twitter verse for the most part. I mean, if you can get in some dark holes there, but I try to stay away from that. And then everybody that I've been in my PLN has in on Twitter has been just like supportive and positive and retweety and like, thank you so much and openly sharing. And then I go on Facebook and it's like, the armpit of civilization and people like just it's it's weird because I have even gone there sometimes like somebody will post something and I feel so inclined to like give my opinion on it and then I'm like back up that's not even who I am as a person like if you and I were standing face to face and you were sharing your idiotic opinion to me I'd be like I'm gonna go over here like okay cool but for some reason we feel so inclined on social media to point out things to people that it's, and it's pointless because you're never going to change anybody's opinion anyway. And then you're just right. contributing to that. So, well, and that's, know, that's why for another day, Ben, ben that's is why I'm a, not doing sober October. <laughs> I'm not doing sober October. I can talk more about yeah. that. <laughs> well, that's Ben. Ben's an old school punk from back in the day. And when we, we connected with Mike and Josh from punk rock classrooms podcast, it, just really opened up this rabbit hole of positivity and what, like what punk culture really is and punk culture yeah, gets a bad rap because of what it looks like, but really it's about unity and being positive and lifting people up. And that's what I know I, I'm going to speak for Ben. That's what we're out there for. So. Yeah. Imagine if you imagine if everybody just like looked a little deeper than what things look on the surface, you know, like so many people look at punk rock and think they know what it is. But imagine if you just took a few minutes to like look a little deeper into stuff like that. True. You might you might find something surprising. I feel like that's yeah. all of everything. It's true for everything. Yeah. No, the song that, that always comes back to me is a, it's a more recent release uh, from uh, Ben's uh, buddies from high school song called slogan on a shirt by the band seven seconds you ever check that oh, song yeah. out and uh, is. that is the uh that is the epitome of what punk rock is and what what the world should be that song so well nicole thank you thank you joining nicole. us you guys this was a blast yeah i'm usually absolutely. in bed by now and now i feel like this yeah great. all I, of us i, can, I yeah. can keep chatting all night long no <laughs> for sure so well we we did come up with what five different episode ideas just from this uh just this yeah, conversation so, I'll be back yep. next week. Yeah, we, we can, <laughs> we we'll, we'll do this. So, but um, stick around for a couple minutes. We do have our learn about yep. segment coming up, but first a couple of uh, little PSAs. So keep our conversation going by connecting with us by email at info at beeredupodcast.com. Tweet us using beeredupod as a hashtag. And then that's also at beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook, beeredupodcast, all one word. That's our page. 
follow us on Instagram at beer edu pod. That's the fun one. We're uh, posting our beers on there. Our YouTube channel, we're trying to build up some stuff there. We put our episodes there at bit.ly slash beer edu YouTube. Follow Nicole again on Twitter and Instagram at Beardsley Tech. Send us a voice message on the teach. Anchor app. Oh, excuse me, Beardsley Teach. So I just happens, misread happens my own writing on here. So um, voice message on the Anchor app. And then wherever you're listening, if you could leave us a review, more people find the podcast that way. It's not an ego thing. We just want to get our message out there so they can connect with people like Nicole here. And then Ben, if they want to be a guest yep. on the show, how do they do that? So if you want to be a guest on Beer EDU Podcast, please visit our website, www.beeredupodcast.com. Click on that contact and subscription info link and then complete our guest form. So we would love to have you on there. And then also we probably should definitely thank uh, School Rubric for featuring the Beer EDU Podcast. Remember the mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students help tell their stories so that stakeholders can make the best choices about enrollment and staffing. Learn more at www.schoolrubric.com and find more great content from educators from around the world. Lots of amazing podcasts on there and, and articles. Absolutely. So now it is time for our learn about, and this week is a little bit different. So Ben and I mentioned this a while back on a show where we wanted to do a debate on what the gateway craft beer is. And we actually, we, he and I have some different opinions. I didn't even know we were going to have a debate. I was just like, yeah. I'm like oh, I got to defend my position. So, but you know what? I, I mean, I, I would not, what you've got here, I would not have said was a gateway beer. So, but okay. you know, you did a little research though. I didn't. So why don't you go ahead and okay. share your research? Well, I, okay. So I'll start with my gateway beer. So I would say like, I, you know, Okay, we'll take we'll take high school out of the equation because that that your beer drinking in high school does not equate to actual beer. It's just how much can I put in my body before I throw up? That at least that was my that's how I did it. So um, I I would say I would say mine and I I used to work at a I worked at a screen printing shop uh, right out of high school um, and I worked there as a screen printer. Worked as an artist and everything. But one of the one of the crazy things we would do is every day at like two o'clock my boss would go buy beer and we just drank Budweiser. I drank so much Budweiser and then I think that's really all I ever drank Budweiser and Miller. And then eventually I don't I I have a friend who worked at a. Uh, it was a shui shui uh, vegetarian uh, restaurant, like hipster place. And uh, before they were hipsters back in like, oh God, this was like 91 or whatever. And uh, they had a keg of Sierra Nevada and they were like, oh, check this out. And I never had it before. And like, actually I would say that was my first like beer that tasted different than other beers. I would say than a Budweiser in those. And then that got me kind of like down that I guess rabbit hole. Um, I would say it's a gateway only in that you can find it a lot of places. So I mean, I, I don't know if it would constitute a gateway now. And I'm there was a I, I found a blog from it's What's Brewing, and they said a gateway beer is any craft beer that recognizes as a macro beer drinker's palate into preferring the consumption of craft beer. So basically, it's like how do you move from standard big you know big big brewery beer to smaller beers. And then it helps newbies understand what their palates are missing. It's not a matter of finding one particular craft beer that will enlighten someone's taste as much as it's about choosing a style um, that they're already familiar with. So this guy argues that a Kolsch is a great 
gateway beer, which I would probably agree that like, if you know somebody that's easing into that, like um, my wife does not like a lot of beer. Um, so her, her gateway beer is one beer that we talked about on this show uh, would be Blue Moon would be her gateway beer. And then now she likes Saison's. So if we go someplace and they have a Saison, she'll buy it. So, but then the one recommendation I did see, and I put the link in here is, do not use IPAs as a gateway beer for someone who doesn't, who's never drank beer, <laughs> which no, is good for me. Because I love IPAs. No, so, I mean, that's, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's hard enough with some people drinking the, fizzy yellow macros because they right. have a distinct uh, flavor to them that sometimes is just not all that appealing at right. all. And like, as much as I enjoy beer, I mean, I, I will drink a Budweiser every now and then, but yeah. I, I don't like the lighter versions of a lot right. of those bigger beers anymore because they have no flavor and the flavor right. they do have to me is just not, not a pleasant flavor. Right. So uh, yeah. So taking a beer that's already tough for someone to, to stomach um, and then telling them, try this IPA. Right. Yeah. Terrible idea. No. Well, and, and I would argue that the same thing would be like a porter or a stout. I mean, right. you, that's a really acquired. Yeah, no, opinion. for sure. That's it took opinion. me, I, it took me a while to get into stouts and now that's one of my favorite right. styles and right. same thing with IPAs. I will say that the Sierra Nevada pale ale, I, I would consider that one of my personal gateway beers because right. that was what was on tap at the one bar I went to where, we would alternate Coors Lights and that uh, throughout the day. Because Coors Lights for sobering up. Yeah, it, that and uh, cleansing your palate after the Sierra there we Nevada go, yes. Paleo. But my gateway would be anything with the word blonde or wheat okay. in the style or the name. Mm. Because these are ones that they're going to look a lot like those regular macro beers. But they're okay. going to have a lot different flavors. Like those blonde ales are going to have those fruity esters that are going okay. to be a little bit more palatable than that standard fizzy lager. Well, and then A, they're not, B, they're not going to be as fizzy either. Because right. that's another thing that gets people with beer sometimes. It's so incredibly fizzy, they can't, they can't stomach it. Right. Because, you know, like, you know, watching somebody sh uh, try to shotgun a beer and never done it before, that's, that's always entertaining <laughs> to watch. So, and then with the wheat beers, that's a whole different other palette there like you know especially if you get right. the german wheats where you get those banana flavors and the different spices True. and whatnot so those to me are like nice easy drinkers that kind of would ease somebody in where then you can start trying some different stuff and then you've also got the ones that are fruit infused so like this right. cherry bomb that i have here today that one there is a pilsner beer like your budweiser or something like right. that but then infused with cherries so that's something that could really ease somebody in too and I, and I think the gateway beer has to be one that's that's got more taste than your standard lagers, your standard American lager that most people are going to drink. But it's not like you said, it's not going to be, it's not going to overpower them. But they've got to be able to taste the difference. You've got to be able to say, this definitely doesn't taste like this, you know, right. one style, you know, Budweiser, Coors, whatever your, right. that, that is. But then bringing it full circle, I don't remember if this is a meme or like a, like a satire blog post or something I read sometime, but like basically the, um, the history of a beer drinker, how it starts out with like those macro lagers and yep. whatnot. And then you start getting into the IPAs and the porters and stouts. And then it comes back to where now you're searching out for a great lager or a great Pilsner. Mm -hmm. And I am, I have definitely made that circle right. where now, especially oh, yeah. in the summertime, 
you find me a great one like the uh, the Pigeon Head Pilsner out of Reno. Oh, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. You cannot go wrong with that. And that's uh, one that uh, 10 years yeah. ago in my beer drinking um, journey, you tell me that I would have gone into just standard Pilsners. No. Why would I do that? Oh, yeah. But, no, that's definitely, I would agree. Like, uh, was it uh, Dale's Pale? Uh, Dale, um, Oscar Brewery does uh, Mama's Little Pills. Yes. He, that is a great Pilsner. So yeah, you're right. I would agree with you that you do go that full circle of like, and I will totally own my own like beer snobbiness where I was like, I'm not drinking a lager. I will just drink IPAs, IPAs. And we all know that I do love PBR, but so. Yes. So, <laughs> well, I've got you. another... I've got another one from the Alpina Brewery that I'm going to feature in a future episode. Okay. That is a golden ale. That oh, is nice. just a beautiful beer. And uh, that's a style. Golden ale is one that we haven't covered yet either. So I'm going to save one. that topic oh, for that episode. There we go. So, have you guys I ever done cream ales? Cream ales. That's we another one that's a cream ales. But I know my cream ale with my, is my gateway beer. Mother Earth Brewing Company, Cali oh. Creamin. Oh, that my, vanilla I, one. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like adult cream soda, but it's like you were saying if the flavor piece, if it's fruity or if it's right. got the vanilla notes in it, um, I'll take that. Yep. I, oh, yeah, I don't I think, think we know. We haven't covered the cream no, we haven't ale done yet creams. either. So we'll, that we'll do that one too. I, I think, I think the bottom line, I think gateways are the ones that get people to try to get out of their habit of drinking, of drinking the same beers. And, and I would say gateway beers are not about how many can you drink? There's no way it's about, it's about, that's why whenever you go to a really good brewery, they always have different glasses, which we've talked about. They always have a flight. Because the flight is not the flight is just about the taste. Yeah, no, just, just starting with a flight in most places will right. It's like four to six little yeah. like shot glass sized samples usually. Some of them will go more like the five ounce route per. So you're basically getting That's two full many, beers yeah. with a flight, uh, but you get to try five or six different right. beers, which is always a a fun time. And then some of them get really artistic with the flight board where mm-hmm. where it's like a little paddle. Uh, that they carried out on. I've seen like racks where they go up in like in a circle around yep. on the rack and everything. So that's always a fun experience too. Well, there you go. See, yeah. so the gateway beer, the gateway beer debate, which really wasn't a debate. No, it's whatever it, was, you like. it was a conversation because you and I have a very similar experience <laughs> with do. our beer drinking anyway. So, well, I think that puts a bow awesome. on 86. So we got yes. 87 coming up next. Yes. And, we will be dropping that one soon. And we have to say thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the show. It was great to have you on. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. And I just learned so much in, like, the last five minutes that I'm, like, there taking notes. Nice. So <laughs> thank you for we, we don't this intend for fun. listeners and, no. uh, and guests to take notes. But if it happens, um, we'll take it. Well, and my, my bigger question, Nicole, really most importantly, is it smoky in Roseville right now? We are doing okay today. It okay. was, it has, just, it has been pretty bad this week, but I don't think it's anything like where you are. Well, see, that's my, my judge is I have on my little app. I look and I go, where's Sacramento? That I just work my way up the mountain, Sacramento, Roseville, Truckee, Reno. I'm like, okay, is the smoke going to get us today? So, well, that's good to know. I think you're good. All right. There we go. That was the important thing I needed tonight. All right. <laughs> Well, listeners, thank you, as always, for joining us. And until next time, may the malts and hops be with you. Right on.